Well, let us turn now to our gospel lesson this morning, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 1503 in your pew Bibles. We are in a season of Advent, of preparing the way for Jesus' coming. It's a time when we celebrate that he came before and also when we look forward to his coming again. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear it today. Help us to hear your word for your church. Lord, help us to receive um, your message as good news for us and for the world. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue your work in us by your word and by your spirit, making us into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Matthew 3 says, In those days, this is when Jesus is no longer a baby, but has grown up. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Turning then. To Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 1764 in your pew Bibles. This is Paul writing towards the end of his letter to the church in Rome after he has given all kinds of other uh, teaching about who Jesus is and why he came and what he has done for us, and therefore how we ought to live. And so then in Romans 15, he says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope, <clears throat> may the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the week of Advent, which surely you have already seen this coming, that uh, the theme for this week is peace, right? We had the Advent candle lighting and uh, read about the being the candle of peace. We saw the video a little bit ago, the children's sermon on peace. If you want to watch that again, I will try to remember to post it to our church's Facebook page so you can watch it there. Um, But peace is one of those that's difficult to talk about. Because we know that it is such a foreign concept. Peace is not what seems to come naturally, is it? What comes naturally is not uh, cooperation and um, that wholeness that we saw in the video. What comes naturally is everybody grabbing for their own stuff disagreeing about where the boundary lines ought to be. And so we will battle and battle and battle because we can't agree. And whether that's in terms of nations or whether that's in terms of (laughs) sitting in the backseat of the car and, no, you can't cross this line. You get the kids poking at each other. That's what comes naturally, right? And yet we have this this week where we talk specifically about peace. And we are aware of the prophets saying, your teachers say peace, peace, but there is no peace. And so I don't want us to be in the situation today where we hear a message of peace, peace, and we think, all right, everything's fine. And then we go home and we watch the news and we go, wait a second, it's not all fine. Turns out people are still fighting. Although, honestly, we may not even make it home to watch the news before we are experiencing fighting. Because if you're riding home with anybody else in the car, there's a pretty good chance there's going to be some disagreement along the way. So, for those of you riding home by yourselves, (laughs) peace to you. (laughs) But there is a vision of peace. Because that is what the world was created for. And it's not a vision that once we enter into 
all the fighting and the conflict and all these things that are a result of turning away from God. And we start fighting, and we start trying to grab for our own, and all those, all those sorts of things. It's not that that vision goes away. There is still a vision for that. And there is still not only a vision for it, but there is a plan for it. And so when we turn to Isaiah, we, uh, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, first 10 verses. And we're going to look at a time when Isaiah is talking to people who were pretty much ready to just give up hope. Give up hope that anything like that could ever happen because they were in a situation where they had turned away from God for generations and generations to the point that God was actually making good on the promises that he had made when he said, if when you live in this land, if you follow me and you live my way and you walk with me, things will go well. But if you don't, you will go out of the land just the same as the peoples before you. And that's, what, that's the route they'd chosen. And that was what was about to happen. And they were saying, well, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to the promises that God made for, for David and his family? That they would that God was going to make his family, someone was going to be on the throne of his kingdom forever, and now here we are being taken over by another country? What's going to happen here? And so all they see around them is reasons to lose hope, and they're seeing violence not only interpersonally but even at a national level as they're being taken over by the nations around them. They've seen it already to the nation in the north, and they're getting ready to see it personally. And so at this time of no hope and at this time of no peace, Isaiah speaks this message. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed, to, will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. It will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. All right, this is the vision that Isaiah gives to the people. A vision of hope at a time where there is no hope, and a vision of peace at a time when there is no peace. And the way that he chooses to describe this, some pretty graphic imagery and a little weird. I don't know if you caught the part, as we went through kind of quickly there, of the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Did you hear that? This is not advice for daily living. <laughs> You're not to, oh, well, Jesus, come. Now let's go put the, uh, put the kids next to the snakes. No, don't do it. But what it is saying is this is a vision for the future where even the most dangerous of situations, you don't have to be afraid because there's no danger anymore. 
And uh, you look at the other things, that the little child will lead them. What is it that they're leading? You have wolves and lambs and leopards and goats and calves and lions and yearlings. That's a mix of some animals. Some are fairly safe to have little children leading them. Others, not so much. And in fact, if you have leopards and lions, you don't want to have any of the rest of the animals there, much less any children around. There's a reason why when you go to the zoo, they have cages. These are dangerous to put these things together because naturally they are enemies and they will destroy each other. They will harm each other. That's what happens. That's the way the world works. And what this vision is that Isaiah is saying is that is the way that it works. And you ought to be shocked when you hear this kind of thing because you can't have that happen. He says, ah, no, you can't. Yet. But that is what is coming. What is coming is a time where you could have little children sticking their hand in a snake pit and you wouldn't have to scream and run to the emergency room. This is a time where you could have a little child leading a leopard and a lion down the street. It's all right. We're all good. You don't even have to worry about it because it says that they will neither harm nor destroy. That's what's coming. I don't know about you. That, that sounds pretty great. But again, we don't want to be in a situation of saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. So we don't go home with this as, okay, these are practical instructions. Go, go jump in the lion pit at the zoo. Go stick your hand in the snake pit. Don't do it. But there is something coming here. There is a reason why this is the, <laughs> what is coming. And I don't know if you caught that from the very beginning. But it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You hear that? From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is the other image we have here. A uh, strange image. It's the one that actually shows up on our bulletin cover there of a tree that's been chopped down. A tree that's been chopped down, and so it looks like that's it. That's the end of that tree. But if you've ever tried to get rid of a tree just by cutting it down, <laughs> you know sometimes it takes a little more than that. As long as the roots are still good, as long as the roots are still healthy, there'll come a shoot right up out of there, and you may grow a whole new tree again. And this is the image that Isaiah is, um, is drawing from. And he's saying, all right, nation of Israel, listen up. We have seen that the, as the nation split in two and half of it, more than half, is gone. And now what's left is getting ready to be gone too. And it looks like that axe has just come clinging across the whole family tree of all of Israel. And it says, but, but, there is this stump. This stump is not gone. It's not been destroyed. It's still there. And this, uh, what is the... Uh, yeah, the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? This is not a Dukes of Hazard reference. <laughs> That's usually where my mind goes when you hear. Anyway, sorry. Jesse was the father of David. And this is a family tree reference. And so when it says the stump of Jesse, it's not like the tree in his backyard. It's his family tree has been cut down. And so that is why there's no hope, is it seems like the plan is over. That tree has, has died. The whole thing is gone. This is what the nations have done to us. And where was God? And instead, what Isaiah says is, oh, no, 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 no. 
It's not over. It's not done. Yes, the tree has been cut down, but there's still a root there. And from this stump that you think is dead, there is going to come a shoot. And let me tell you what's going to happen with this shoot. It is going to have a branch that is going to bear fruit. So not only is it not dead, it's going to live again and provide. will be good. And then suddenly it, it kind of changes the image on us. And so it's not talking about a branch on a tree, but we realize this is a family tree because this branch on this tree is actually a person. It's an individual, and it says this is what this person is going to be like. And he's not going to be like all the other people that we know. You can think about the, uh, the wisest and most understanding person you have that you know, the one who has the most knowledge and fear of the Lord, the one who is the spirit of counsel and of might. And you can think about the one who fits that description the most in your everyday life. And you go, yeah. We all fall short of the glory of God, don't we? <laughs> it says, but this person that's going to come from the stump of Jesse, this one that's going to grow into this uh, shoot that becomes a tree that has a branch that is bearing fruit, says this is what it's going to be like. He's going to be the one where the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This is unlike anybody else. This is not only a reason for the people to hope. This is a reason for them to hope and rejoice because it's not only not over, but it's going to be better than ever. And then he goes on to describe what this person will be like. And he says he will not judge what he, by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. This isn't like anybody we know either. Somebody who actually makes right decisions instead of believing what our eyes see or just believing the hearsay of, well, so-and-so said that. There was a, uh, a commercial a while back, and they had a whole series of them, and they were often not very appropriate, but uh, they're all pretty funny. They, uh, there was one, though, where it had a guy, and he was in his house, and he was cooking dinner, and maybe you've seen this one. I don't even remember the name of the company, but he's in his house, he's cooking dinner, and he's got the pasta going over here, and he's, you know, vegetables or whatever he's chopping up, and then he's got the spaghetti sauce on the, on the stove, and the cat jumps up, and knocks off the, the pot of the spaghetti sauce, which then goes on the floor. So you got this big pile of spaghetti sauce. And the cat's down there, and he's like, oh, no, i got to get the cat away. So he grabs the cat, and he's got the uh, cat in one hand and the knife in the other hand over the, <laughs> the splattered spaghetti sauce. And at that moment, his wife walks in and takes a look at what's going on. And he's like, ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> and then it just says, don't judge too quickly. <laughs> But that's what we do. We are more likely to jump to conclusions instead of finding out what the real story is because we, I know what's going on here. You can try to explain it away, whatever, but I know what's going on. And then we do the same thing with what we hear when you find out from somebody what happened and you say, I don't believe it because I already heard from somebody else that something else happened, and I'm going with that. We, we do this, right? <laughs> this is how it goes. And it says, but this person who's going to come who is going to have the Spirit of God, isn't going to do it like that. And if he hears something wrong, he's not going to judge by that. 
If he sees something that looks really bad, he's not going to judge by that. He's going to judge by what is true and what is right. And that is really good news. If you're in a position where you feel like you're really being misrepresented or misunderstood by everyone around you, you can take comfort knowing that he knows what's really going on. However, there's a flip side to that. And the challenge comes in when everyone around you is completely snowed. You've got them fooled. They think that you've got everything going well, but you don't. He's not fooled by that either. And this is where that that next part comes in, and it says, you know, not only will... uh, with righteousness, he will judge the needy, and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. That's that first part. The second part, though, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And so the question is, where is it? Where are we in that? Is this passage a comfort to us, or is it a, is it a challenge to us? Depends on where we are. But he will do what is good and what is right. And this is where it gets into that um, the image and the vision that we talked about earlier. Of the peace. The peace that will come. Where you have all these dangerous animals, natural enemies living together and everything is just fine. Because now we have someone who is ruling over everything with true justice, with true righteousness. And those who didn't want anything to do with that won't have anything to do with that. Those who wanted to go their own way will be let to go their own way. And those who remain will be those who are following the king. And it's because all of those who are remaining are those who are following the king. That's why nobody has to worry anymore. That's why there is no fear of danger. That's why the natural enemies are no longer enemies. And it says, for the knowledge, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. I dare you to find a part of the sea that is not wet. And saying in in that day, there will be no part of the earth, no part of the earth, where people are not knowing the Lord, not walking with him. And that's why it will be completely safe for little children and wild animals to be right next to each other, for natural predators to be right next to their natural prey. And that is not just about animals. This is about our relationships with each other too. It's about our relationship with God, but it's about our relationship with each other. I don't know if you have any natural enemies in your life. People where it just seems like they just have it out for you. It doesn't matter what you do. Or maybe people where you just feel like you got it out for them. It doesn't matter what they do. That you just have never clicked. You've never been able to get along. And there's nothing but animosity and fighting and backstabbing and gossiping and any whatever you can do to just take each other out. If you have any natural enemies like that, there is an answer. There is an answer to that. And it is the one who is the branch 
from, from the root of Jesse and is a branch that does bear fruit. And uh, you have probably already picked up on this, but this one that we were talking about is Jesus. This is exactly what we saw when he showed up the first time. It says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. We read in Matthew what happened with um, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Well, then he shows up. And right after what we read, he comes down to be baptized by John. And it says, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is the one who has the Spirit of the Lord resting on him. He is the one who has the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and the counsel and of mind, knowledge and fear of the Lord. This is who Jesus shows himself to be in everything that he does. And you can see him interact with people. And you can see him interact as with various groups of people. And he's never, he's never off. He's never off by how he relates to them in truth, opposed to just appearances. He doesn't judge by what things appear to be. He always gets right at the heart. And people try again and again to get around that, and there's no getting around that. He judges by what is true, not by the, what he sees with his eyes or hears with his ears, but what is really true and what is really right. And he is the one Actually, I have several. I'm not going to look them up. I have the time for that. Uh, I just got a list of them. In Ephesians 2, it says that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in Colossians 1, it says, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what Jesus did. He came to make peace between us and God, between us and each other, and actually between us and all of creation. And he did it by dying. By dying for our sins, the sins that break everything down, that break the relationships between us and God, us and each other, and us and all of creation. And he took that penalty on himself. This is why we can still have this vision for something beyond the results of our sin. This is how much God loves the world. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. A life with him and a life the way that it's supposed to be in this kingdom that is coming. And we say, yeah, but that's, that's not here yet. So what do we do in the meantime, Right? We don't just say peace, peace, where there is no peace. So what do we do? Well, in part, we wait. We wait for the peace to come when this vision is actually fulfilled. But we don't just wait passively. We wait actively, knowing that this is his kingdom that has begun now knowing that this is the way that Jesus is leading his people. And this is why when Jesus begins this famous Sermon on the Mount, one of the very first things he says is, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. I don't know who it is that you find yourself fighting with again and again and again. But as those who follow Jesus, we are to be those who follow Jesus in making peace, providing opportunities for people to come together again. And we don't want to hear this message. Oh, we want the results of it. But we usually want it the same way Peter did. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be the king. I want you to be the Messiah. I want you to be the ruler of everything. But I don't want you to die. And that's what we have going on in ourselves when we look at making peace with somebody and it says, I'm going to have to die to my own pride. I'm going to have to die to my own ego. I'm going to have to die to getting my own way in this situation if I'm going to make peace. But that is the way that Jesus is leading. So is this a vision of something that we really do want? Is this really the way the world ought to be? Is this really the way that God is making all things? And is it really true that he's doing this starting in our own hearts and lives? You know the song, I'm sure, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me? It's a good line. The way that we sing it in our hearts usually is let there be peace on earth and let it end with me. I'll, I'll, I'll take the last step. Everybody else go first. And then when I see that it's all safe and all good, then I can. But that's not the way. The way is let it begin with me. So like I say, I don't know where those relationships are for you, but I do know the one who is the prince of peace. And has come to make peace between us and God and us and each other. Now the question is, are we going to walk in that way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.